Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. I mean, if you wanted college basketball excitement over the Thanksgiving break, your desires were completely fulfilled. Welcome back to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. Mike Randall here, my partner Gus Kearns with me as well. Gus, that was like a veritable orgy of college basketball excitement. <laughs> that was insane. We got overtime games on the West Coast keeping us up late. We got drama on the East Coast with surprise teams dealing with injuries, trying to fight through. And then we got a whole bunch of stuff in the middle that was just plain old entertaining and surprising for our sport. Mike Randall, I am with you. It was highly entertaining over the Thanksgiving Day weekend. By the way, how was your Thanksgiving? Everything everything good on your end? Thanksgiving was was very good. I battled my cousin Brian with the remote trying to flip on the PK80. My cousin is a Dallas Cowboy fan. Oh so boy. we were fighting over the remote, <laughs> but every Philip Rivers pass meant a little bit more PK80. So it worked well for me. How was your Thanksgiving, partner? Real good. We've spent a whole bunch of time outside. Instead of watching Philip Rivers, uh, my brother-in-law and I were playing Philip Rivers and and running every kid out in the yard on various pass patterns with the football. Everybody came in muddy, which means good day for us. Oh, great time, great time. And, and let's let's get the uh, the operational stuff out of the way, folks. If you like what you hear, please go to iTunes and rate us the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast five stars and a rating. We'd appreciate it. You can tweet the podcast at SDS Podcast. You can email the podcast, sdspodcast at gmail.com. Myself on Twitter at Randall Rant. Gus at Kearns 12 We're all over the place. We appreciate the support. We got rankings coming up on RandallRant.com. We have our, our screen. The screener pods are up on Randall Rant as well. So, folks, whatever you can do, rate us, review us, listen to us, come back for more whether you hate us or love us. Thank you very much. Operational stuff out of the way, partner. What do you say we get to three winners and three losers? Three winners, three losers. That sounds okay to me, Mike Randall. I like the sound of that. Do you have any winners that you want to share with the people out there? Gus, I have. There's so many, right? I mean, there's so there's so much. Robust, this is a robust college basketball experience, right? So there's so many winners and losers. But I, I got three. I'll give you my three, and then you can react. How's that? We'll go one one for one. So I'll do one, then you do one. React. How's that sound? Okay. Very very good. Very good. First up. Gus, the first winner for me is Luke May of North Carolina. I was a little bit down on North Carolina. That was a mistake. See, I can admit when I'm wrong. That was a mistake. Their secondary break has been clicking. They've been playing very well. And Luke May's performance, Gus, the entire weekend, especially against Arkansas. I know they're losing a little bit tonight. We're taping on Sunday night to Michigan State. Irrelevant. Totally irrelevant. Luke May, he got his third double-double of the season. He scored 20 or more points in four of UNC's first five games. Mm-hmm. Five games. According to ESPN stats and information, Luke May is now the first North Carolina player with 100 points and 50 rebounds in the team's first five games since Anton Jameson in 1996-1997. Are you kidding me? Given Gus that Jameson was a two-time All-American and the National Player of the Year in 1998, that's a lofty comparison. Here's my conclusion, Gus. UNC is good. Barry got back quickly. May is a complete scoring force inside and outside. Watch out, ACC. Yeah, totally agreed. I am shocked that Tyler Hansborough did not have numbers like that coming in. So, I mean, if you're putting him ahead of Tyler Hansborough, obviously National Player of the Year, uh, NBA player, <clears throat> first-round draft pick, I mean, look out. Totally agree with you on UNC. They are a surprise team for the good, which is very nice. And 
I, I'm with you. I think we got to put them in that in that top tier of the ACC. I don't think they belong anywhere lower than that. And it's nice to see Joel Berry back playing at a very high level to complement Luke May's unbelievable stat lines that he's putting up. He's the missing piece, Gus. I did not know if, that they were going to find this piece inside. He is the piece. He's pulling up for three. They're running plays for him. He's using his body inside. He, he made a comment there. So I read an interview where he said he wanted to become more of an all-around offensive player. Uh, mission accomplished, Luke May. Welcome to the All-American conversation. One of those teams for sure. Without question. Without doubt. Uh, who's your first winner, buddy? Let's go with first winner, Jalen Hudson. Oh, yeah. Ah. I mean, <laughs> how did that transfer work out for Florida? That seemed to be okay, huh? I mean, number one, that game was the best college basketball game that you're going to watch all season probably. If there's a game that tops that, guess who wins? We're the winners. If there's a game that we're going to watch that's better than that Gonzaga-Florida game, everybody wins. He went off. He scored on all three levels. He took it to the hole. His mid-range game was on fire, borderline unstoppable, and he canned a bunch of threes from an array of positions, from the corner, from the wing, straight on, covered, uncovered winner. Hudson for Florida, that guy was out of control. I, I am shocked he is the leading scorer along with Kolachev on that team, and it's not Kevon Allen or Chioza. And by the way, if Chioza and Kevon Allen are your like ancillary scorers or your secondary or third scorers, guess what? Florida's going to be really good. So winner, Hudson and Florida overall. Not much to say there, Gus. You hit all the points. Jalen Hudson transferred from Virginia Tech. He had 6.9 points per game, 8.4 points per game his first two years. Sat out last year and has burst on the scene, averaging 21.4 points per game, 3.6 rebounds, and assists. A half a block, a half a steal. He's doing it all. His game so far this year, Gus, 16, 12, 26, 17, and the big 35 number. Wow. Unbelievable. That guy, I mean, oof. I can't wait to see this team evolve and see what his role becomes moving forward because right now I'm totally impressed. No doubt. My, my second winner, Gus, and again, there's so many, but these are the ones just popped in my head real quick. Minnesota Golden Gophers. Mm-hmm. They aren't just winning. They are dominating. And we'll get to the five on three at the end of this. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, right, 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 right. They are seven and now. They won the Barkley Center Classic. And Gus, when all this craziness happened, like they were winning that game handily from start to finish. So listen, right. crazy stuff happened. Colin Sexton turned into Larry Bird. Fine. Okay. But let's remember when there was a normal game going on, Minnesota was was dominating an Alabama team that was very, very good. Junior forward Jordan Murphy. He was good last year, 11 points per game. He is incredible this season. He's averaging 22.5 points per game, 12 rebounds per game. And oh, by the way, Angel Delgado, you have some competition. He has a double-double in every single game this season. He had 19-14 and 14 against Alabama. Minnesota's got inside presence. They got Nate Mason, who was first-team All-Big Ten last season. They yep. got Reggie Lynch, 6'10", senior Big, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. They got balance scoring. They got a bench. Isaiah Washington, the freshman from Harlem. He's got 7.2 points per game. Richard Pitino is Big Ten Coach of the Year. I don't know what else there is to say except watch out Michigan State. If we're going to talk about Luke May and his All-American position, then why are we not including Murphy in that conversation as well? Because his numbers absolutely parallel Luke May's numbers, and his impact and improvement also parallels May's improvement and impact. It seems like that Minnesota just has players all over the floor at all times. They're really impressive. You got to love the five that they put out there. And they even have a little bit of depth, like you mentioned, so they don't fall off a cliff once they go to their bench. Very true. Who's your second winner? Oh, second winner. Now, this is going to sound odd, but stick with me here, folks. 
I think it's the University of Rhode Island. I know you're thinking like, oh, what are we even talking about? They lost EC Matthews. They don't. Ha- I mean, they, it's a they, great they, one. They, it's a great they, one. They, they lost to UVA in the finals of their tournament. They proved that they can play a big time program, win a big time game, see the Seton Hall game, have a stud guard in Terrell. That guy is as good, yep. if not better, than EC Matthews. Yep, no doubt. And they showed that they can survive and sustain pretty much a season changing injury. And their season just might not change. They just might be that good throughout the season until EC Matthews get back. So I'm going to say winner, University of Rhode Island, due to their toughness, the energy that they played with, and their ability to not back down from a very tedious situation that's challenging for any team. When you take away your best player or leading scorer, sometimes the air goes out of the balloon. For this team, the air went the other way. The complete opposite happened. So I'm going to say winner, University of Rhode Island. They will be live from here on out. Again, I know that you're thinking, like, how could they be a winner? Watching them play, they're winners. Totally agree. Absolutely spectacular choice there. They win that game without EC Matthews. He's going to be back, folks. I think it's four to six weeks, something like that. He will be back. That Rhode Island team showed a lot of spirit. They're well-coached. Terrell is playing fantastic basketball. He had 32 points against Seton Hall. They had 15 from Robinson. Garrett, who I mentioned, did not score. Okay, Garrett is 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 fine. He's okay, but his ball handling is incredible. I'm mesmerized oh, by yeah. that. Oh, that guy. Talk, talk about a crossover. Yeah, I just love watching him. Listen, he's not getting on any all anything teams, but I, I he's he's on the whole Mike Randall watch team. How about that? Well, there you go. Congratulations, Garrett. But Russell had 20 as well. They're a very dangerous team. I think it's a tremendous job by you. They really came forward. They played very hard. They beat a Seton Hall team. I think it's a bad loss for Seton Hall because if you want to go to the Final Four, you want to be a top-two team in the Big East, you can't lose to an E.C. Matthews-less Rhode Island team. You just can't do it. But I will say a lot for, for Rhode Island. It's a fantastic win. I like that pick. It's a very, very good pick. Yeah, and again, I, I think we tried – you know, we went with obviously the, the – the, we went with the very, very clairvoyant ones here. But I think we also have to go a little bit off the radar. And just kudos to them for playing hard as heck. Uh, what, do you got, what do you got for your next winner? Sort of right church, wrong pew with you there, my friend. I'm going with St. Bonaventure. Okay. Ah. Same reason you went with Rhode Island. They won okay. three games in a row without Jalen Adams, who's still out with a sprained ankle. The other players are really stepping up, especially senior guard Matt Mobley. He averaged 18.5 points per game last season. He's now up Gus to 22.8. He was third team all-conference last year. So the team is succeeding without Adams. And when Adams comes back, who's the preseason A-10 player of the year, watch out. They beat Maryland, which was a tremendous win, and they gave huge T- win. TCU all they could handle. TCU is undefeated so far. I think a uh, longtime St. Bonaventure coach, Mark Schmidt, I think he has the best team he's ever had at St. Bonaventure. He's in his 11th year. Watch out, A-10. Same reason as Rhode Island Gus. Love St. Bonaventure. Why are we not highlighting Mobley? He he is playing a little bit out of his head. Like you, we mentioned, we highlighted uh, Luke May. We highlighted Murphy. I think Mobley has to be in that conversation, too, of somebody who's just got off to an unbelievable start for his team and, and pretty much putting his team on his back, making them perform at a high level, even without their best player, very similar to Rhode Island. Love that call, too. Go Bonnies. I mean, how are you not rooting for those guys if they're down their best player and still playing everybody hard as heck? Love that call. Great call. My, my next winner, again, stick with me here. You might think like, oh, what are you even talking about? It's Texas. Here's why Texas is my next winner. If you go back and hit the rewind button and look at Texas season last season, it was borderline disaster. We have people kind of whispering for Shaka Smart's job. Can he actually coach at a big time program? And do what he did at VCU and transfer it over that success over. Yeah, I know they lost. I, I I know they lost twice in overtime. You know what? They lost twice. They lost in overtime to Duke. 
arguably the best team in the country, and they lost in overtime after coming back in a huge way against Gonzaga, who I think we now can argue is a top 15, top 10-ish team in the country. And they lost to both of those teams in overtime and played unbelievably well in both of those games. They have a stud in Mobamba. Their backcourt is a little bit more secure with Coleman and Roche and Jones. I like the athleticism and the length that they have back there. This is not going to be a sub-500 year for the Texas Longhorns. And I think those two games, even though they go into the loss column, I think that those two games have to give every Longhorn fan out there hope moving forward that they can compete with any team any night with any style due to the roster that they have now. So I say my next winner, Texas Longhorns, even with two losses, the PK-8. Excellent, excellent choice. You know, we talk about – sometimes coaches won't say that losses are good and those things are good losses. Uh-huh. Those are as good lo- as good a losses as you're going to find. They, Absolutely. You go against the number one team in the country, which is the clear number one team in the country in Duke, and you had them dead to rights and played them hard the entire time. And then you come back and play Gonzaga. Gonzaga is going to be mad. It's basically a home game for Gonzaga. Texas could have packed in like UConn did today, by the way, against Oklahoma. They could have well, packed we'll get in. To, we'll get to them in a second. Don't worry. They could have <laughs> packed it in and said, you know what? We got our, our – our tough match. We're out of here. They did not. Dylan Olsikowski has been playing tremendous. I know Shaka liked him a lot. 13 points, 8.2 rebounds. Andrew Jones is playing well. Like you said, Bamba, 10 points, 10 rebounds, almost four blocks a game. Excellent choice. Texas has totally put themselves back on the map in the Big 12. Third year in Shaka, a lot of pressure. So far, he's delivering. I agree. I kind of want to see them now that they're out of this like PK-80 gauntlet. Like now that they're on the end of that, I want to see them get into the grind of the regular season. And I bet that grind is going to grind the right way for them. I'm really looking forward to watching them play the rest of the season after viewing them in two phenomenal games out west in the PK-80. You want to bring it down a little bit and go to the loser side, the loser bracket, if you will? Yeah, just some teams here that are on watch that need to sort of be aware that they maybe didn't perform as well as they would have. And the first one, guess I'm going to go right at you. My first loser, the Purdue Boilermakers. (laughs) Oh, no, no, say this is so cool. What are you doing to me here? This is what I'm going to say. Again, I will repeat this for all the fans and the hashtag boiler up. Enough with the hashtag that you're going to come at me. I think Purdue is a very good basketball team. I think Purdue is a top 25 team. But the social media people who have talked about this team and on Reddit and all these places, Final Four, pipe down, folks. Okay, let's summarize what happened here. They lost two games in a row before blitzing a Raleigh, a Raleigh Alkins-less Arizona team. Let's look at their game so far, Gus. Southern Illinois, Edwardsville. Okay, they won by 31. They shot 47.4% from three. Chicago State, they won by 69. Again, 42.9 over 40% from three. Marquette, they won by 15. Only shot 33.3% from three. But Isaac Haas dominated with 22 points. Marquette's very small. Fairfield, won by 42 points. 61% from three-point range. The Tennessee loss, 37% from three. Haas only at 13. Western Kentucky loss, 29.6% from three. The Arizona win, huge win, won by 25, 61% from three. Arizona, Gus, was a fantastic matchup for Purdue. They're shorthanded. They do pack line defense, help and recover, help and recover. And you can't do that with Purdue because you help and recover off of Matthias and Carson Edwards and Vince Edwards, a whole group. They're going to bury you. So they drove and kicked all day. They were driving and kicking all day long. I think Isaac Haas, I'm dubbing him this now. He is, Gus, the king of the little people. He will not dominate any decent team that has a strong big inside, which he's going to see 
in the Big Ten. And therefore, the Boilermakers are going to be very three-point shooting dependent, which I think is going to cause them to struggle. Last year, Gus, you say it all the time, have bigs will travel. They traveled. You know why? They traveled with a big who was one of the best players, if not the best player in the country. I think they're totally three-point dependent. I'm not huge on Matt Painter as a coach. I'm not sure if he's upper echelon yet. Folks, let's ease off the gas pedal on Purdue. We have found my Gonzaga, Gus, of this year. Yes! <laughs> it's the Purdue Boilermakers. <laughs> if for no other reason, we found it. We found a, a great talking point the rest of the podcast season. I am not getting off the Purdue bandwagon, by the way. I hear what you're saying. I understand. And look, that's what happens when you're going to shoot like 25 threes a game. If you're going to shoot it at 29% and, and teams are going to run you off the three-point line, then you have to adjust. So I think Painter has to have the versatility in his coaching and his offense. So like if the team's total goal is to run you off that three-point line, let's use the bigs. Let's get it to the mid post. Let's get it to the extended foul line. Let, let's Vincent Edwards do his thing there. Let's drive it and not kick it. Let's drive it and keep it. So I think that there are some things that can be adjusted. If we're picking on them for not hitting from three, I think we are kind of kind of nitpicking at what they're doing. I totally agree with the matchup with Arizona. Arizona's a little bit in a fog due to a number of things. I, I'm not exactly sure what. But speaking of a fog, you know who's definitely in a fog after a decent initial game in the PK-80? It's UConn. Well done. I, I felt like there was a little hope after that win versus Oregon. And you're like, oh, yeah, their backcourt matches up. You, you like what Lareer brings, uh, you, you, like Gilbert. He, you know, he's, he, you know, as we like to say, uh, muskrat love type guard, bringing it in, not afraid of contact. But then to get blown out by Michigan State by about twenty, and then just get their doors blown off by Arkansas, they were just not competitive. Can Kevin Ali, you know, circle the wagons, and get this straightened out? Yeah, of course. This would be, a, this could be a great rallying point for this team. But you know what, the thing that really stands out to me with this team, their lack of ball. So lift the curtain a little bit, like you know, like you said, you were trying to get the flip into uh, the PK80 with the Dallas Cowboy game. My daughters were nice enough to watch a little bit uh, the weekend basketball with me, and, and you know, tolerated it while they were doing some other things. My little daughter, daughter who's a baller, we were watching the UNC game, and and, and she said, "Daddy, how come they don't dribble?" Commenting on USC, he's well just done. like, "Well done, well done." In in total contrast of that, it seems like UConn is just dribbles the the heck, the dribbles the air out of the ball. And they have like very slow assist ratio numbers across the board, even for their point guards. So I think their lack of ball movement, maybe like lack of willing to share, is a big problem that Kevin Ali might need to get turned around. So I mean, one of one of my things to look out for, like look out. I'm sorry, UConn. Uh, I, I'm always kind of pulling for you d- due to the uh, you know old school Biggie's ties. Man, I think they're one of the losers this weekend. Yeah, I like it. I mean, non-competitive. Non-competitive Michigan State. Bridges only played a little bit in that game. Non-competitive with Arkansas. Got their doors blown off. They were done. They got the win over Oregon and they got out of there. Remember, we got the American Gus. We got Cincinnati. got Wichita State this year. You're going to have some battles in there. UCF, Taco, the whole thing. I'm with you. I think it's going to be a little frisky. I, li- I like it. I-, I think there's some questions about UConn for sure. Definitely. Uh, who else do we have to be aware of? Who else are we feeling sorry for? Who else is on the loser list? Well, excuse me, Villanova. I understand that you're king of the little people here, and you're all excited about your five wins, but I'm going out of Mari Spellman. Gus, this has been the year. This has been the year of the dominant freshman, of freshmen right. coming in, just performing. Marvin Bagley's got 60 points. Uh, Trey Young is just breaking ankles. Where is Omari Spellman? This is not a deep team. Let's take it easy here, please. 
We here at the Screen the Screener podcast, we understand they're undefeated. We understand they won their title, but we look beyond the surface. Spellman's points this year, Gus, 11, 9, 15, 4, 3, and 0. How is it possible that Omari Spellman can get 0 points? And the 15, by the way, Gus, was against Lafayette, okay? This Easy. Is- This team is looking eerily similar to an early exit team that Villanova's had. Brunson, Bridges, Booth, Pascal, Spellman, DiVincenzo, and that is it. Look at this star-studded lineup they've played, Gus. Columbia, Nichols, Lafayette, Western Kentucky, Tennessee, and Northern Iowa. I understand Northern Iowa's good. I understand Tennessee's good. Western Kentucky. But again, this goes back to, Gus, what are their goals? Are there goals this year to beat those teams, or is this a team that wants to make the Final Four? They were loaded last year. They had a great draw. They had a tough Wisconsin team, but that's a team they should have beat, and they had Josh Hart, by the way. I feel more confident than ever that Villanova is not going to win the Big East. They will have a swoon. Jimmy V Classic, Gus, December 5th, Gonzaga, smell you later, Jay Wright. (laughs) Look, that game is going to be a truth-telling game for sure. And I think now that we've kind of uh, gotten a little small sample size of all of those teams, I'm with you. I think Villanova might be in a a little bit over their head as long as Gonzaga can travel and get here and get rested. I'm so looking forward to that game. But I am with you on the overall picture of Villanova. And I think we've kind of called this out from the beginning of uh, this particular season. Yeah, Xavier, Butler, and a Seton Hall, like any of one of those teams, I think can challenge Villanova for that Big East title. Totally with you on that. How about this? I'm not just going to go with like a team or a player here. How about just the Pac-12? Can the Pac-12 just as overall be a little bit of a letdown? Look, Arizona State, kudos. Playing unbelievably well, great win against Xavier. Washington State, great win. Glad you got one. They are representing the Pac-12, but it feels like the big dogs. Everybody else? Uh, I mean, we'll see with USC and, and Texas A&M tonight. But it just seems like the Pac-12 as a whole entire package got a little too much hype, a little too much talking, a little too high on the numbers. I don't know. May, maybe they're not going to be as good as they've been in years past, especially last year with uh, UCLA and Arizona and Oregon all being unbelievably strong all throughout the season. Maybe they don't even have one team that's going to be as good as any one of those three teams. So I say Pac-12 overall, again, Arizona State aside, not great early showing for that conference. You know, I'm with you, and I'm going to stay on top of that, and I'll just give you my third loser right now because it's in the same ballpark, and that's Arizona, but not for the reasons that you think. I think that the Pac-12 as a whole is pretty solid, but I th- I agree with you. I think there are some marks at the top, and that's why I'm calling Arizona my last loser here. Listen, they have no Roley Alkins. He's a five-star recruit, all Pac-12 freshman team, almost declared for the draft. That's a huge loss. Okay, so you really can't analyze until he comes back. However, I agree with you. Arizona State, Bobby Hurley says this is his best offensive team he's ever coached. They dropped 102 Gus on Xavier. And blew them out 102 to 86. That's a great win. They won the Continental Las Vegas Invitational Championship. So like you said, right on the money. I think Arizona State is is an issue and going to be a problem. Imagine Arizona playing that game. Interstate game, favorite on the road. Okay. That that is going to be, that's going to break attendance records this year. I'm telling you right now. And listen, I got to give a a kudos here to Washington State. You mentioned it. They're 5-0. They beat St. Mary's, by the way. Uh Okay. By the way, why is St. Mary's favored by 17 in that game? I I can't even get into it. How did we not put that out on Twitter? St. Mary's on a neutral court favorite. 
by 17. Come on. There's not enough possessions for them to get up 17. Right. And Ernie's Kent squad, he's played San, he plays San Diego State tonight for the Wooden Legacy Championship. We haven't mentioned USC. I think they're the wild card. I agree with you. They could be pretty good. They have a challenge tonight with Texas A&M. That's going to be a frisky game. I do yep. think, Gus, UCLA will get better. I don't know if UCLA's top 15 team, but I think they'll be okay. So I agree with you. You're going to compare them to the other conferences. They may be a little bit down, but I think that the conference as a whole getting better. I didn't even touch on your guy, Donnie Coleman. <laughs> Okay, who's going 24 points per game for California. Stanford's right. going to be frisky. They'll get better. I think the Pac-12 as a whole is getting better. The bottom's getting better, which means Arizona's my third loser. Fair enough. Uh, look, I, I agree that maybe the the teams that have been the punching bags traditionally in the past couple of years are now finding their way to some success, which is nice to see. But I, I was talking my Pac-12 like thumbs-down situation is more of those – top tier teams that aren't playing at the top level that they were. I mean, obviously Arizona and Oregon tops among those for sure. And my last loser, how about the refs? Can we just easy ease up on the whistle a little bit? Can we let them play a tiny bit? I know there are points of emphasis that you have to pay attention to that you want to have the game in place early on so the players that and coaches then react to the points of emphasis that you're trying to incorporate into the game. But can we just let them play a little bit? That, that, I think that's my – it's not a huge loser, but that's my my one little beef as far as the early season. I just felt like there was a lot of stoppages of play that were maybe not necessary on all fronts, especially on rebounds. I feel like there were a lot of whistles on on pushoffs on rebounds. Like let the people go up and get their ball. Let just let, let – right? Let, let them get their offensive rebounds. Let them get their defensive rebounds. If there's contact, that's what happens on a rebound. It's not necessarily you need to call it as a foul one way or the other. So I'm going to say, refs, ease up on the whistle just maybe a couple of times a game. How's that? Yeah, they're calling a lot of stuff, and they're trying to change the game. And listen, they get their marching orders from up top. Those refs are black and white. They're mathematical. So they're getting their orders from somewhere else. I'll stay in that, that vein, Gus. Listen, so we had the Minnesota game against Alabama, the whole thing. Gus, I, I watched the highlight. The entire bench did not leave. Okay. So I, I think you have to, you, you know, we always go letter of the law. Okay. Uh, here's the letter of the law, guys. At a stop sign, do you not go? Cause it doesn't say go. Like eventually, like re, you, you have to think outside the box. I don't think you need to throw the entire Alabama team off knowing what that's going to do in a championship game. I think you could have sent three of them or four of them. But again, use common sense. Use common sense on some of these calls. Use common sense on that. You don't want to have a five versus three scenario. That was an embarrassment. I understand some players left the bench, the whole thing. Remember the Nick fight, right? Okay, I'm with you. But let's take it easy. I agree. Let's use some common sense. Ease off the whistle a little bit and don't throw out the entire Alabama bench. Uh, yeah, agreed. I wasn't even going there with that one, but um, I, I understand that that's the that's the rule and you want to keep that rule in place so things don't escalate to a worse place because to be honest, the coaching staff and the players just did a really good job. They initially reacted and then, you know, they stepped across the imaginary line or the line that's on the sideline. And then everybody like reacted appropriately. Everybody stepped back. Like I, I feel like the coaching staff and the players actually did a decent job there in that situation. It's just that the law is once you cross that line, automatic ejection. So I, I get it. But at the same point, I, I'd like to commend the coaching staff, and Alabama's players for not like letting it escalate into something that could have been much, much worse. Man, that was a crazy situation. <laughs> and Colin Sexton is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I and mean, for this way, we should thank him because we got to see Colin Sexton go off. And listen, he's not taking those type of shots if everybody's in the game. So, Correct. Maybe, yeah, maybe, so maybe we should get a butterfly effect. 
All right, folks, we'll take a quick break. We're going to come back and do a preview here of some big time tournaments. We got the Big Ten ACC Challenge. We got the Missouri Valley versus the Mountain West. Big challenges coming up. We're going to preview those games. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back, folks. We got two tournaments coming up this week that I think we want to preview and talk about here. We got the Mountain West Missouri Valley Battle. Now, folks, the Mountain West Missouri Battle has been sort of under the radar. They have played six times. The Mountain West has beaten the Missouri Valley three times. They've lost once and they've tied twice. So in, this is last year. Mountain West Missouri Valley split the 10 game series 5-5. So we got some games up here. We're going to do the first couple for you. First game, Gus, we got Loyola Chicago at Boise State. That's going to be a Tuesday night game. Boise State's going to be live there, huh? I, I think that they will. I, I think that this is interesting because, uh, number one, Loyola comes in 7-0. and Boise comes in 5-1. and So you think like, oh, both of these teams are kind of decent. You know what I'm intrigued about? I'm intrigued to see if Chandler Hutchinson can step up his points per game scoring average. Came in as one of the Mountain West uh, Player of the Year candidates, along with Jordan Caroline. And he's been playing decently, but I don't think that he's put up the numbers that we've kind of expected. And I'm interested to see, is he going to have that blow-up game here? Is this where like maybe his like march towards first-team all-conference or the conference player of the year starts? He's been rebounding it decently, about eight, eight boards a game, but... You'd like to see his points increase a tiny bit. How about isn't there isn't there a Jersey guy from uh from Loyola? Yeah, Loyola Chicago, the Ramblers, Gus. They're gonna be a little frisky here. They got you know Marcus Towns, Clayton Custer, and Dante Ingram. They, those are the those are the three. Towns leads the team fifteen point four points per game. He's from Jersey. He's got six rebounds, three assists. Custer likes to let it fly as well. Fourteen points, two rebounds, four assists, and Dante Ingram basically fourteen points. Those are their big three guys. They're averaging eighty two points per game. They let it fly, like you said. They're undefeated. They're going to look to take it. This would be a nice win for them in Boise State. Get them ready for the Missouri Valley Conference. You know, it'd be a nice win for the conference. Period. Because I mean, I think every valuable win opportunity for the Valley they want to take advantage of after Wichita State leaving the conference. So I, I think they look at these as all like opportunities to build the brand back up to where they'd like it to be. And uh, if you're going to keep a guy, an eye on something, uh, somebody, how about how about Jessup from Boise State? He's averaging about 14 points a game. Uh, shoots at about 90 percent from the line. I think he might be another player to keep an eye on if you're going to look for where they're going to get some of their points from. So, again, I mean, if I was going to pick, I'd probably pick Boise. But, again, Loyola Chicago is coming in undefeated, so it's going to be a live game. Two more games we got, Gus, on Tuesday in the Mountain West Missouri Valley Challenge. Next one is Utah State at Valpo. You know, it's interesting here. Now that there's there's no Creighton, hasn't been there for a while in Missouri Valley, there's no Wichita State. You're trying to look for the team that's going to step up here and take control. I think you're talking about Valpo could be that team. They are 7-0 this year as well. They also beat UNC Wilmington. Tevin Walker, I feel like he's been there forever, right? 16 I, points per game. Right. He's definitely one of those guys you're like, he's still there? He's still there, right? He's, he's in there forever. So t- talk about this one. Valpo, Utah State, what do you got here? Game is in Valpo. Listen, I think there's a couple of things to pay attention to here. Number one, if you're going to lean one way or the other, obviously we're going to lean Valpo. Um, Utah State is live, though. Valpo is one of the favorites in the conference coming in. This is another opportunity for like one of the top Valley teams to get a quality win, uh, even if it's at home. You know what? Utah State, uh, Sam Merrill, who is actually Stu, Stu Merrill's son, playing really well, averaging 15 points a game. The guy to keep an eye on here and who could be the game changer is Kobe McEwen. He's been playing in and out of the lineup and not hasn't been in the starting lineup every single time dealing with a couple of injuries. If he's healthy and on his game, 
then I think Utah State can give Valpo a little run for their money here. So the guy to keep an eye on, the hinge player, swing player, so to speak here, uh, Kobe McEwen from uh, Utah State. Yeah, that's a good one. And keep in mind with Valpo, they beat UNC Wilmington 79-70. Sophomore guard Bakari Evelyn had 30 points in that game, Gus. He was 11-12 from the line, 3-4 from deep. So they can score it as well. This is going to be an exciting game. Keep your eyes on this game, folks. Don't sleep on this game. This could be a real exciting one. And then the last one we got on Tuesday, Gus, Colorado State at Missouri State. Talk to me here. All right. So Colorado State obviously always plays hard, always plays with some passion, but I think they're in over their head here against Missouri State. Nixon is playing really well for Colorado State. He's averaging about 15 points a game, uh, but not good shooting percentages. He's not being efficient from the floor, um, so he's going to jack it up a little bit, but I think that if he's the guy that you're going to rely on for points, I think you need to be searching in other places. And look, Missouri State has one of the best players in the country that nobody knows about, and Alizé Johnson. The guy's averaging about 15 points a game. He's averaging just about 10 rebounds a game, so he's averaging a double-double. And get this, he's even leading the team in assists. So if, if you're going to look at one player in this whole entire, like, conference-on-conference conference, uh, tournament, I think Alizé Johnson might be that guy that stands out as the best player in this whole entire matchup. So if we're going to lean one way here, I think you got to lean uh, Missouri State. And I think Missouri State, again, with Valpo, is one of the favorites in the Valley. This would be an unbelievable opportunity for them to get a quality win against Colorado State. And I just love Alizé Johnson. The guy's averaging a double-double. I think he's going to be a difference maker in this game, and I, I, I expect him to help the Bears get a win. Yeah, the Rams got to be ready to go for Johnson. They got to have an answer if they want to stay close in this game. They lost three games in a row, Tulane, Florida State, New Mexico State, came back against Northwestern State with a nice win, 72-60. But like you said, they better be ready to go. If they're going to rely here and they're going to get some points, they have to lean on Prentice Nixon, who's their junior guard. He's averaging 15 points per game. He missed the last game. First start in 42 games, Gus, he missed for Colorado State, for Larry Eustacia, and the Rams had a concussion. Hopefully he'll be out of pro call and come back. they got to have him if they want to hang with Alizé. No question. I think he's the guy to pay attention to. If they they have him on the court, puncher's chance. If they don't have him on the court, they're really going to be searching for answers as far as uh, on the offensive end for sure. I, no doubt about that. So hopefully he's healed up and, and can find his way back into the starting lineup. And Gus, the other one, which is a little more popular, the Big Ten ACC Challenge is this week. They lost the Big Ten ACC Challenge last year for the first time since 2008. They want to get back, and the Big Ten wants to get back on top. So we got some games. Let's break down here and see what you think. On Monday, we got Maryland, who's 6-1 and at Syracuse, who's 5-0 and undefeated. Syracuse winning streak is going to hinge whether Tyus Battle is going to play. He injured his back against Toledo. He's 20 points per game. He's on the cover of the Athlon Sports magazine I got right here. So they need him healthy. They're young, but they're off to a good start. Syracuse, Maryland's trying to bounce back from that two-point loss to St. Bonaventure in the Emerald Coast Classic. I think this is a coin flip game. I know that that battle's health is is one of the things that we're paying attention to here, but I can see this game going either way. To be honest, I think it's going to be it's going to come down to the point guard matchup. I've been loving what Anthony Cowan is doing for Maryland. I, I even put out on Twitter that maybe he he he's better than Melo is at all which is kind of like hearsay. I'm sure Maryland fans are like, what are you even talking about? Mello won seven games for us last year single-handedly. I feel like Cowan is on that trend or that trajectory. And I think we also have to pay attention to uh, Frank Howard for Syracuse. He's been playing really well. Not really expected much of him, but he's been putting up decent numbers. So I think if he can take care of the ball and hold his own against Cowan, I think Syracuse has a shot. And of course, we have a couple of your guys that you really like, uh, Kevin Herter, who's leading the, uh, Maryland in assists. And of course, uh, Justin Jackson is back, and he's been putting up decent numbers. So I, I, I like this matchup. I think it's kind of like a sneaky, underrated matchup in the Big Ten ACC matchup. 
Then in the next game on Monday night, first one of 50 wins, Gus. Wisconsin at Virginia. Wisconsin 3-3, three and three, Virginia 6-0. and oh. The Cavs had won the preseason NIT championship. Isaiah Wilkins. By the way, he's a stepson of Dominique Wilkins. Did you know that? Isaiah Wilkins. Is I knew there were some bloodlines there. Yes. I know he's a stepson. Yes. He had a career-high 19 points over the against shorthanded Rhode Island, who played a very gutty game. We talked about that. They got Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome, Devin Hall. They're all firing away from three. Wisconsin's three losses, however, came to Xavier Baylor and UCLA. Not too shabby. Ethan Happ. 18 points, nine rebounds, certainly very solid. How do you see Wisconsin, Virginia, 8 p.m. on Monday night? Number one, take the under here. Number two, um, <laughs> I think you have to lean UVA here. And I think somehow you're going to lean UVA heavily because the possessions are going to be so valued and that the point scoring is going to be down at a level that we're unfamiliar with seeing probably in the you know the 50s or maybe even high, a low 60s if it gets to that point. Because it's going to be that type of game and that type of scoring, I just don't think Wisconsin has that many weapons to put up that many numbers in such a low possession game. Does that increase Hap's importance in this game? Absolutely. Is he going to put up crazy numbers? Sure. I don't know if UVA has a player that can actually match him and, and contain him in any way because nobody's really been able to contain Ethan Hap. But I like Guy. I like Jerome. I think it's an underrated backcourt. I, I think those guys will be efficient. I can see this starting out even and then UVA pulling away slightly and give me UVA by about six or seven um, in a very low scoring game. Very good. Next one we got on Tuesday. 6 p.m. We got Northwestern 4-2 at Georgia Tech. This is a very interesting game. Wildcats got thrown off a little bit. Remember, they're not playing at home. They're playing over in Rosemont. They allowed Creighton to shoot 51% from three. They lost to Creighton. They lost to Texas Tech, which was a bad loss. Yellow Jackets lost to UCLA, but they're very shorthanded. They will get sophomore guard Justin Moore back, who will return from his two-game suspension. They're still without Josh Okoji. Jackson played against North Texas a couple days ago, had 14 points, so that's good for them. So, Gus, how do you think they're going to do? They certainly have Lammers. They have a good team there. They got Jackson back. They got a shot here? Oh, absolutely. I think even with their with their roster still a bit compromised due to the suspensions, I, I, I like Georgia Tech here. I don't know if Northwestern has a person on their roster to match up with Lemmers. So I'm going to say give me Georgia Tech slightly. I think it's going to be a close game early. I think Northwestern wants to right the ship after getting tripped up a couple times uh, earlier on the season. But I, I like the mismatch that Georgia Tech has with the big man. Florida State, 5-0. and Rutgers, 6-0. and Something's got to give. Both are undefeated. Scarlet Knights have been good on defense, 47 points per game, but they're going to play a Florida State team who has been on fire. They just put up 113 points against the Citadel. They got Terrence Mann, 17 points per game. Florida State traveling to Rutgers. You give Rutgers a chance here? I do give Rutgers a chance here. I know this sounds crazy. This sounds nuts. I feel like Florida State is going to have better athletes all over the floor. I think Mann is the best player in the game who's going to be on the floor at any time that he's occupying space on the floor. But I think Peichel has this thing kind of moving in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. Is this thing sustainable, this lockdown defense where we're just going to like limit possessions and, and limit offensive opportunities? No, it's not sustainable for the whole entire season. Like at some point, the, the, the levy is going to break and, 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 you know, they're going to give up 85 points to somebody. But you know what? Early on, it works. I bet it works here. And I bet this game is going to be closer than you think. I do give Rutgers a chance, but give me Florida State in a tight one on the road. But I tell, I'm telling you right now, Rutgers is live in this game. Could be a screen-to-screen official line there, taking the points, see what that line's going to be. Next one, Gus, in a game that I will give the points, no matter what the points are, Louisville 4-0. They've been very shaky, traveling to Purdue, who's going to be angry after a couple losses. They just smoked Arizona. They are home in the confines of their own stadium. 
Here they come. The Cardinals are going to be their first road game. They got four players averaging at least, you know, nine and a half points per game. Dengadel's at 17 and a half. But the Boilermakers, when they hit their threes, they're tough to stop. I think this is a Purdue route. You see it the same way? Absolutely, 100%. I don't think there's, there's, I don't think there's much that Louisville can do unless they, I don't know, revisit. I don't know the defensive prowess of uh, a number of years ago, but I, I just I don't know if they're going to have answers to all the places where Purdue poses questions. Is what I'm saying. I, I I think they're a little bit better at the point guard position as much as I like Quentin Snyder. I think they're a little bit better on the wings. I think they're going to shoot a little bit better from deep, and I think they have bigs to match up with Louisville's bigs. And I think like every matchup, it's slight advantage Purdue, so that means overall advantage Purdue. So I like Purdue actually pretty big in this game. Two left now, Big Ten ACC Challenge. Illinois, Brad Underwood's club, 6-0. and There was some, like you said, FBI fog going on there, but they seem to have ride the ship. They play Wake Forest 2-4. and four. Wake Forest, Gus, rewarded Danny Manning with a six-year contract, and I think he deserves it, although he's been off to a rocky start. I'm just surprised to see that they gave it to him after three losses in a row to Georgia Southern Liberty and Drake to start the year. They beat Quinnipiac. They lost to Houston. That's fine. And then beat UNC Greensboro, but they want Danny to stay. That's great. They made the tournament last year, the playing game. I understand that. Illinois got at least five players, Gus, scoring 11 points per game. Aaron Jordan's got 11.8, and he's also 15 to 23 from three-point range, by the way. The Illinois have defeated some of their easy teams, but they're going on the road to the Demon Deacons, but they did lose to Georgia Southern Liberty, Drake, and Houston. Who do you got, Gus? Illinois at Wake Forest, 8 p.m. on Tuesday. I I feel as strongly about this one as I do about the uh, Purdue-Louisville game. I I think this is an Illinois win, big time, and I think that they are going to actually put the ball up and down at a pace that Wake is not going to be able to deal with. And I think this game kind of gets ugly later, to be totally honest. So Illinois in a runaway game in the second half. And the last one we got, Iowa's 4-2. They're going to Virginia Tech, who is 5-1. Virginia Tech has won five games in, press- in very impressive fashion. Last three games, Gus. In fact, all five of their games, 111 points, 132 points, 103 points, 99, 96 points. They score a lot. They stumbled against St. Louis, lost 77-71. But Buzz Williams certainly has things cooking. They are, are a favorite to make the tournament and to do some damage in the ACC as well. Hawkeyes are young. No Peter Jock anymore, right? They got Isaiah Moss, 15.8 points per game. Jordan Bohannon there, 14.5. Tyler Cook, 13.8. But they got Virginia Tech. They're traveling into the den there. I think the Hokies win big. Your thoughts? Uh, I agree. I think the Hokies win big. I'll tell you right now, though, I will not be afraid to run up and down with them. You mentioned those high scores. I bet Iowa is going to jump right on that ship and hoist a whole bunch of shots right with them. I can totally see this game taking the over whatever the point spread is on this, like take the over on total points in this game. Cause I can see Iowa just running, running and just trying to not necessarily stop them, but just go score for score for them with that, with them. And I think the Hokies are really talented. I think they're underrated and I can totally see them putting up a hundred spot here. No problem. And that hundred spot is going to be good enough to win against Iowa. I mean, gosh, Gus, a, a, a plethora, a bonanza of college basketball. We're hitting December. That means they're going to be some big time games. More matchups, more things to look forward to. We got some thank yous. We got some people to uh, to credit here as we, we head on out. Uh, yeah, you know what? I do have a, a couple of thank yous, a couple of hoys. Number one, thank, again, thank you to all of our guests. And, and I just want to give, we want to read as many uh, reviews that we have on iTunes out on the podcast. So I just want to read one of the reviews for Mike Jones. Thank you, Mike Jones. Totally love the review. He says, these guys are absolute maniacs. Very in-depth analysis you won't find anywhere else. I really don't understand how they find time 
in the day to watch all of these teams. Good luck with the upcoming season and Boiler Up. So he is on the the, the Purdue bandwagon with us, and I bet he's going to be watching the uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge with us as well. So thank you so much for the kind review. Again, any kind reviews we get, we are giving you a shout-out and an ahoy on the podcast. So thank you, thank you, thank you. That's it, folks. Make sure Twitter, follow us, iTunes, review. Randall Rant, check it out. I got Short Corner coming out this week. Gus got the fishy lines. We got everything. College basketball, one-stop shopping partner, wouldn't you say? Sounds so good. Cilantro, gratulatia. Cheers, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch up with you later on in the week. We'll see you, folks.